1: Good afternoon and welcome everybody. This would be the Jeff Cameron Show right here on 93.3 Real Talk Radio and War Chant TV. Great to be with you. Great to be with you. Hope you're well. Appreciate you joining us. Week is flying by, man. I love this time of year. Here we go. It's about time. I'm Jeff, Director Matthew, filling in in the producer's chair as well again today. Boys headed back from Charlotte. ACC kickoff, wrap it up, and uh, now it's all that's left. All that's left is to get it rolling, right? Get it moving to where we can uh, celebrate the opportunity. Uh, obviously, to uh, to to talk about real football, real football practice, the results of those practices, the intense competition, and how it's going to play out. On game day, or how we hope it's going to play out on game day, you know, I, I got an opportunity. Matthew's involved in this too. He'll have to edit it later, and we'll 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 get it up on the uh, website. I did. Um, I was asked, you know, I do stuff sometimes for this thing called the College Sports Book, and and that kind of has been in the infancy stages, and we haven't put a lot of. Uh, effort into into to refining that thing to what it's going to be, but we've had fun kind of getting to know the metrics and learning how to do certain things. Anyhow, my point is I, I like hosting that because it allows me to engage in things that I already like to do, which is uh, look up uh, what a football team is or is not and why and, and kind of the measurements uh, and projections moving forward of what a team could be. It is an inexact science. Of course, the game is still played by human beings, which is great. Because if all we had to do were look at numbers, wouldn't that suck? I remember when Moneyball came out and then later the movie, which I thought the movie was great. The book was great, too. But I remember thinking that I would, I would have been much more like Jonah Hill's character than Brad Pitt's character just because if it just becomes about the numbers, then why would we ever watch the games? You wouldn't, right? No, man, they're still human beings. They're still guys that end up making plays. There's somebody who sometimes exceeds what the back of their card says they are, and other guys who perform below what the back of that card says they are, right? So you watch the games, and there are mitigating circumstances and overriding circumstances that are hard to predict. So we could do it with all sports, and I love how much better we can do it now with football, but you still got to watch the games, still played by. In this case, pretty young men who have the opportunity to kind of change over the course of their career a good bit of who we think they are. And so this assignment this time around for the sports book, actually, it, it fell in my lap. It was Florida State. And I thought, oh, well, yeah, I can do that one uh, because I can add more than just the numbers. I can tell you, you know, you're going to look at things uh, to try to tell the story, to paint the picture. And we've spent this entire summer doing that, right? What was Florida State last year beyond five and seven? What were they? What kind of team were they? Where did they succeed? Where did they fail? Definitively. Where, what do those numbers tell you? So, for example, if you want to – and all, all of these metrics are just a way of painting the picture, of telling the story. We, we've gone from traditional stats to more advanced stats, but they're all in an effort to try to inform our opinion of what a, what, a, what a player is, what a team is, what a program is going to be, or what it was, right? All these things. So when you hear something like, because I, I get a lot of old guys as well as young guys listen to this show. I'm right in the sweet spot. I'm lucky. I got like 18 to 60-something and obviously there are some guys that are younger than that and older than that but that's basically that's where we're at. Uh it's one of the things I love about this job is that you're you're really reaching a large swath of people. Unlike if you're like an FM DJ and you sit down and you play a song by you know whoever whatever genre you want to name. Let's just say modern pop, right? The people listening to that station are very specific. And you can you can know who those People are who your demo is, right? This is this is more varied, and I like that. Poor, rich, middle class, white, black, Hispanic, dun- right? It's all across the board. Mostly men, admittedly mostly men, but even that's changed over the years. More and more women love football, love athletics, love sports, love competition, and know a lot about it. So, in my time of doing this job, that too has changed, which is great. So, I say all of that to say this. When I get these emails from people like, well, what does that mean? What, you, you talk about passing down success rate. What does that mean? What does havoc rate mean? You know, you hear these numbers and what do they mean and where does FSU rank in them? Um, Florida State's offensive unit as a whole was 89th in offensive success rate. And the best way to boil that down when we look at all of these numbers, how often are you on schedule to pick up a first down? If we're just talking about success rate, offensive success rate, how often are you on track? Are you on schedule keyword there to pick up a first down. So gaining 5 yards on 1st and 10 is more important than gaining 5 yards on 3rd and 15, isn't it? <laughs> so you can't place the same value on those 5 yards. And that's what we're doing here. And you know, if your offense stays ahead of the chains and dictates terms to the defense, then you obviously can create big plays, and FSU's offense didn't do that well last year. And basically what I looked into and noted, of course, was something that you probably noted too just by observing the games. And that is that they had to rely last year offensively on non-designed quarterback runs a lot. And that's known as a broken play. (laughs) and a broken play cannot be the cornerstone of your offensive success. You can't it can't be that the vast majority of your successful drives were spurred by Jordan Travis making something out of nothing. Now that it, it can work. it did at times. It can be a reason that you end up winning a game that you probably should have lost, right? But as it turns out, Uh, You know, you can't build a game plan around it, and you're not going to have sustained success doing it. So not a reliable way to consistently succeed driving and drive out, but to take it a step further, the offense was 96th in offensive finishing drives, which that's points per trip inside the 40. So when they got inside the 40 and cash it in all that well, 114th and havoc rate allowed. That's defined as plays which defense records a tackle for loss, forces a fumble, defends a pass, basically negative plays for the offense, right? All of that, all of these negative numbers. So we're right this entire offseason to be very, very focused on Florida State's offense. We, we, We don't talk as much about the defense. And there's a reason for that too, and the numbers bear that out. And so I think, you know, that became more of a fun exercise for me this morning, early this morning over coffee, looking, really diving down into those numbers to make this video on the College sports book for FSU's win total of six and a half. The more you did it, the more you looked into what was wrong and what was right, the more excited, frankly, because I'm going to follow that up with another observation, the more excited you got about this season. I got, personally, the more excited I got this morning, I'll take you through the morning. Wake up early as always, wife gets out, the door goes to work, I'm making the coffee, my deadbeat kids are sound asleep. <laughs> They're allowed to be there, 14 and 12. Sleep while you can, kiddos. School's about to start. Ha <laughs> ha. Why do I take great pleasure? You talk about schadenfreude. All those years that as a kid you lamented how soon that the summer ended and how soon school would start, and you thought, son of a. And you just felt the weight. It's like the 60 minutes clock on Sundays. That Sunday depression hits you. That's tonight on 60 Minutes. Son of a... It's over. It's all over. So anyhow, that stuff happens, right? And now that I don't... That's not the way I feel so much. Not like a kid who's in school anyhow. I hear that stuff like, yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? Sucks, huh? Yeah. Summer's almost over, guys. What an ass! I'm such a jerk! I just say it randomly. <laughs> well, now that you're on the other side, you should call your mother and apologize. Yeah, I should. I should. So, here's the deal. Uh, they Wife leaves, goes to work, kids are asleep, all's quiet in the Cameron household. I got a good cup of joe, and I sit down for this project. And I start looking at some of those numbers. 114th and Havoc Rate aloud. 96th and Offensive Finishing Drives. I look at 69th in the country in passing down success rate. Now, that one, actually, I think we all could have guessed. You know, there was that, the, you could guess that when they opposing in defense, was uh, winning early in the series, that you were going to be put in position that third and long meant you had to throw the ball and you didn't have elite receivers. You didn't have a very good offensive line and your quarterback is not an elite drop-back passer. So these things add up to it's about time to punt. It's about time to punt. And that, that, you know, when I was looking at those numbers, I thought, well, I mean, how much better are those numbers going to be? And you know what? The offensive line is going to be better. That does what? Well, a lot of things, but. First of all, it gives you a chance to win a game. Secondly, more time for guys to get open. Six of the seven top targets return, but that's not really the story because more important than the returning wide receivers, none of whom you feel great about, I mean, we're holding out hope that McLean is going to continue to emerge, perhaps. Or Portier takes a step forward. He had a good spring. More important than that was bringing in Micah Pittman from Oregon, which th- that you have to count that into your production chart when you're looking at guys who returns, who doesn't, who did you bring in in the portal. So now you're receiving core. gets a huge bump from a guy who I think is going to have – and if you were covering this team from afar, meaning your task was to cover college football on the whole from a distance – say, uh, Washington, D.C. or Corvallis or wherever, you would just look at, okay, well, they're getting this many snaps back at wide receiver. None of these guys were all that productive. You're bringing in Micah Pittman, who really didn't do anything at Oregon and is coming off of an injury. So I don't know, how much of a bump could I give him? Well, see, that's where I have an advantage doing this right now because I was at every one of those spring – all but three of those spring practices, and he was sensational. He was a game changer for Florida State in the spring. It changed what a reasonable expectation could be for this receiving core. That is to say, a guy that diminutive won a ton of 50-50 balls. He was physically tough and strong, in addition to being extremely athletic. So now, I know that's not a minor addition. That's a major addition. Winston Wright was a guy that obviously they sought to bring in for obvious reasons, and that is that in the Power Five, this is a guy who produced. He was a bona fide wide receiver at the Power Five level with results. He had receipts. This is what I can do against stiff competition. They got unlucky. This is where I always bring up Norvell's been a little unlucky. They bring that guy in. You can't predict these kinds of things. There's an unfortunate car accident. Sucks because he had barely gotten any time in spring. He was uh, getting over something, and so that happens. But the news on that front continues to be very positive. Well ahead in his rehab schedule. Way ahead of where they thought he was going to be at this time. Defying odds, even. That speaks to a motivated young man who wants to get paid. Good, good. I don't care the reasons. Motivation is always good, whatever that is. So let's go. If he is able to get back really, really soon, not like kind of soon, like LSU soon, we're talking about two major additions to the receiving core, okay? Now all of a sudden, you're really looking at a drastic upgrade. Again, is this going to be an elite core of receivers in the ACC? No. Nope. But they won't be the worst in the ACC like they were a year ago if these guys play well. And, and I think they have a real opportunity to. Johnny Wilson's kind of um, the unknown in a way. Uh, that's a guy whose body type suggests that you could use him a lot of ways, especially in the red zone. I need him to be a more consistent consistent receiver of the football, catcher of the football, but at, you can't teach that height. He loves to block. That that group's better up front. So that number, you know, 89th in offensive success rate, uh, 69th in, in – uh, passing down success those numbers figure to go way up. I just gave you the reasons. A better, deeper offensive line in which there is a competitive depth Right, So the competition in practice makes everybody better. You have more bodies when people get hurt. And they're not just bodies, as Mike Norvell said yesterday at the ACC kickoff when talking to the local press. They're guys that can come in and help you, not just hold it down. Okay, now I don't think this is an elite offensive line. I don't want people to misconstrue what I'm saying. Do I think it is a better, deeper offensive line? Yes, I do. Do I think the receiving corps got a shot in the arm with the additions of the guys I just alluded to? Yes, I do. So they'll be better. Jordan Travis is the unquestioned starting quarterback. He doesn't have the questions at this year's ACC kickoff that he had hovering over him a year ago. No doubt that was off-putting for him, having to share that, not being really sure if he was the guy so many times. He's been second-guessed, right? All of that. So these are things that now, now you throw in a pretty deep offensive backfield. When you look at the running back position, I think it got a huge shot in the arm with Trey Benson. Do they get anything better at tight end? We know what Cam is. He'll never be elite. Can he be decent? I think he can be decent. We'll see if any of the other guys give you something. They got enough of them. Uh, And they've got a couple of names that you can get excited about that we'll see if they can hurry up, grow up in a hurry. Can they make some plays for you? Maybe, maybe. But that's better. You're solid on the back end. You know who you are at safety. You feel very good about that. That's experience and leadership. You're all right with the return, obviously, of Duke Cooper at corner. Kevin Knowles, I think, Played very well last year and you continue to see him emerge. You have maybe one question at the other corner spot if Knowles isn't your starter starter and it's Reynardo Green. If that's the case, you know, maybe, maybe you're average there. You're good at the other corner. You bring in Tatum Bethune at linebacker. And that's a guy that, once again, UCF's been a better program than Florida State for some time now, sad to admit. And that guy, all he was a tackling machine. A machine. And in the spring. Virtually unblockable. Dominated. Dominated. No reason to think he isn't going to seriously upgrade the level of play at a position where Florida State's just been flat-out bad. Not unlike wide receiver and offensive line. Florida State hasn't been marginal. They've been bad. Deloach came on at the end of last year. Second half of the season was a really good linebacker. Competition created again with the influx of more. So you have that. I'll tell you, man, this exercise this morning felt good. You know, I went inside Bill Connolly's numbers in the projected conference, you know, the division, and, and then the ACC as a whole. And at the end of the day, his SP Plus numbers for, again, just another means by which to evaluate. It isn't the be-all, end-all. all is isn't all of that. It's just another measuring stick, another tool. But he's got them at 7.81 wins. That total is at 6.5. I felt very comfortable. Action Network had Florida State, I think, at 7.7 Uh, 7.7 wins, most of the models using a variety of metrics, kind of like I'm doing here in this conversation, point to Florida State having better than a six-win season. Uh, Most of them point towards this being seven-plus. And I don't think that's off. I think 7-5 and five is the most likely outcome, 8-4, and four, very, very possible. And you know what you get back to, what you end up having um, the realization of, and I did this this morning when I was pouring my second cup of coffee <laughs> that I want to do and looking out the window, surveying, thinking about the upcoming season. It was that simple. It's a bad movie. Me staring off at the trees, having a sip of Joe thinking about wind totals. That's, that's my morning. And what a damn good morning that is, kids. Dogs at my side. So I'll tell you, I kept coming back to that damn LSU game. I want to talk about that next. I'm going to. But I did. I kept coming back to that damn LSU game. Whereas before, yeah, I looked a lot at, understandably, the Louisville game. And I still find that to be a massively important game. But something kept drawing me back, drawing me back to LSU. And uh, that's going to be a good game. (laughs) That's going to be a good game and a really important game. We'll talk about that some next. Some observations, some further observations. Yesterday was a lot about Jim Phillips looking like a deer in headlights, not projecting strength, struggling with the new reality that the ACC finds itself in. Today a little bit more about what our coach had to say and what the players that were there had to say and the fact that camp gets underway next week. Players report. Practice begins. Wednesday, I got an email this morning that also uh, served to uh, brighten the day, which is uh, our annual luncheon with the coaching staff and players and the Q&A that follows lunch. That invite was sent uh, today by Derek Satterfield. Jeff Cameron 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Of Cambridge Show 933 Real Talk Radio War Chant TV. Great to be with you as we move ever closer to the start of actual football. And uh, and 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 rid ourselves of the incessant talk surrounding realignment and the future of the ACC and the plight of the teams in it. Uh, I, I'm ready for real football too. I'm ready for that. I, listen, all, we're all going to be keeping a very close eye on the other. You have to, uh, you have to keep a close eye on that. One is the long-term future, uh, and the other is, of course, the immediate and short-term. And so, uh, I'm ready to, to, to dive into the immediate and short-term. Uh, I thought that Mike Norvell, as and, and so did the players. I thought they came across very, very confident. Um, it's the time of year where I think, obviously, you would expect that. But to to hear FSU players, you know, Fabian Levitt talked about uh, Levitt talked about um, the LSU game. You know that. So did Jamie Robinson. Uh, I, I I think they get it. Um, that that game is of major importance. They have a chance. Uh, to perhaps kind of uh, dictate the the rest of the season by how they perform in that game. I I think it can be a mistake, and and Mike didn't bring this up, and so you know that the coaching staff isn't going to harp on a singular game. You have to go in uh, to this season with a certain uh, modus operandi, right? You you look at these things, this process, the games themselves, the way you prepare, the way you wrap your minds around it mentally and physically, the way you get to work and all that, that really needs to, to remain consistent. Uh, and I think I think for the most part that is, is how they handle it. But you know, if you think about it, LSU goes into that game with a mess of a season a year ago and six and seven, uh, five and five the year before that. It, it, it's not as if LSU has been tearing it up. It's also not as if LSU is devoid of talent. Uh, maybe the stability that they brought in by bringing in Coach Brian Kelly and ridding themselves of Ed Orgeron is enough to get that talent to play at a much higher level. But there are always transitional growing pains, and this game being so early in the season and with FSU having a Week 0 opener against Duquesne, one would like to think that if we're shaking rust off and transitioning into another season that Florida State has an edge, at least in that realm, and I think they do. Now, are they talented enough? You know, that that game will answer a lot of questions. But I liked the confidence, and not specifically about that game that uh, the players spoke with, and I liked the enthusiasm and confidence that Mike Norvell had. Because one thing about Mike, and I've talked with him enough face-to-face, and I've had the opportunity to... Uh, observe his interactions with uh, the press in general and his team and individual players. I, I think I got a pretty good read on Mike. Uh, and he's a guy that I think has been very, very candid, open and honest about what his team is or is not. You know, Sometimes what you're not saying says a lot about it as opposed to a direct comment on an issue. You know, my, I don't. Mike has never shown as much confidence and enthusiasm in his team um, as he has this offseason through this spring and this offseason. I, I think he knows that they've done a lot to remedy some of the most glaring errors. Now, they're not where they need to be. They're not where they hope to be uh, in a year or two but i think he believes certainly that they are equipped to have a much better season and uh there are a lot of reasons for that the offensive line would be the starting point you know mike is very excited about where jordan's head is at in addition to the physical part of, of the game um so okay you know i i that, that's give yourself a fighting chance You cleaned up the locker room, you got people on the same page, and most importantly, you upgraded the level of talent that you are going into battle with you know this is the bottom line is at the end of the day you can you can detoxify a locker room you can get buy in you can have a belief and sell a vision and get kids to say yes to that and coaches to coach it but if the players aren't good enough to execute aren't big enough strong enough fast enough and you're not deep enough it really won't matter all of that i think this is the first time he believes he has enough of that to go out and win football games now they're not the most talented team in the league. They're not favored in the vast majority of uh, the bigger games that they're going to play. They're not favored against LSU. They won't be favored against Clemson and NC State. They won't be favored. You know, there are a lot of games you can find on the schedule where, where right now Vegas certainly thinks that they're not the team to beat, that they're not the likely winner of that game. That's fine. Those margins were larger. The preseason – numbers, those preseason lines, those preseason win totals and the like have changed in favor of Florida State. Not in that they're going to win, but the original, so the LSU line, the original LSU line's a touchdown line. The Sharps bet it down to three, two and a half. Again, a lot of sharp people looking at FSU saying, you know, there's potential for that team to surprise a lot of people. I agree with that. It doesn't mean they will. But I do think uh, I, I I think they have an opportunity. Somebody asked me a question about good old Walt Deptula. <laughs> he has me on every year, um, and I uh, I enjoy going on the show. I I also get what he does and and what he's doing. Uh, I can't find the question. If you find it, let me know. I'll I'll answer it. Somebody asked me about one of his predictions, and and uh, I find it. Interesting. Hey, Michael, by the way, I see you there. Thanks for uh, contributing. I appreciate you. Let's go in order here. I'll go Michael and then David. Michael uh, writes, which was more difficult to cover, the lost decade or the lost half decade that we're currently in? Also, what does Eddie say at the end of the Gordo's commercial? Thanks, Jeff, and we'll keep you regular. That's what he says, Michael. And uh, by the way, that commercial is uh, dated. It needs to be changed, and it will be done early next week. Hunting down my man, Eddie, is difficult at times. Uh, that said, I love them. Great, great restaurant. Okay, now back to uh, what's more difficult. I think the lost decade was more difficult. I understand that the further removed you are from a difficult situation, uh, it's easier for you to say that uh, the thing that you're going through right now is is the more pressing, difficult time. But in truth, the reason I thought the lost decade was more difficult was that there was no hope for the future and that things weren't suddenly going to change. The staff got old. The game passed them by. There wasn't going to be a shift in their ability to get the most out of those players. So you just felt like it was status quo until either he resigned and or was fired or whatever it was going to be to exact change. Now, eventually, obviously, they bring in Jimbo Fisher. Uh I was in favor of that. In fact, I predicted it on the air, and then that ended up happening Um and, and there was the guy that modernized I'm um, day one modernized the way they practice everything no more standing around not so much downtime where guys aren't doing anything every minute of every practice was them a player uh, on one of the fields in some group doing something that mattered and so you just got more out of what was going on on a daily basis they changed uh, who they were trying to recruit and things got better but it was tough in that period before that because you just felt like uh you were running in place. Uh, nobody likes to be in limbo. Being in limbo is very difficult. You know, it's easier to uh, to meet a challenge head on when you know what it is. And you may not like it. You may, you may think it's overwhelming. You think it, it could be very difficult, right? But if you know what it is and then you develop a game plan and you have a plan in place to follow and you work that plan every day, then there's purpose behind every day. I felt like we were aimless, During the last decade that uh, a lot of what we were doing was going to bring about the same results because there was no real change in or shift in uh, philosophy. And, And what we were doing was dated. So this was just a okay, well, same as last year. I think it's easier when you're in a transitional stage. These losses hurt the same. Watching a team stink like this is very difficult, especially when you're passionate and you love them. But if you believe in the plan and you watch them exact that plan on a daily basis and you see people buy in and work towards an end, it may not work out. There's no guarantees that it's going to work. I'm not saying that this is going to, in the end, work out for Mike. It may not. This year is critical to his success long-term, obviously. But I do think it's easier to watch the changes and see those plans be put in place, acted upon by the coaches and believed in by the players, because now you're seeing something different that you hope brings about change. It may not. If it doesn't, then obviously uh, he'll get fired. It's it's, It's a very... Simple math equation in the world of college football. Uh, the money is so great, and the expectations don't shift all that much at a place like Florida State. Either you're winning or you're not, and if you're not, and the too much period goes by, um, then, then you get fired. It's, it's, it works. You get fired. What was the next one? And I'll answer that as well. Uh, Walt from Clemson picked FSU last in the Atlantic, and Norvell fired. Your thoughts? Uh, well, let's take a quick break and I'll come back and answer that because I went long before. I actually do have thoughts on that. And, uh, well, anyhow, it'll, it'll be fun. We'll talk about it next. Jeff Cameron Show 93.3, Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.
0: The Jeff Cameron Show is a production of the WarChant.com Multimedia Network. Check out WarChant.com today for the latest news inside Florida State Athletics. That's WarChant.com. Now, back to Jeff on Real Talk 93.3.
1: Jeff 93 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV. Good to be with you. Going to answer the question asked before the break. Uh, one of you on the chat asked about a projection from uh, Clemson, well, the Clemson area station that houses Walt Aptula who I've gotten to know over the years. Um, I guess he prognosticated the Atlantic and uh, picked Florida State to finish last in the Atlantic Division and that Norvell would be fired. Now, Walt is not above and beyond a little sensationalism, especially when it comes to uh, chiding Florida State fans in the area and uh, goading them into a response. He's also not ill-equipped uh, to to assess football. So uh, just two things working there that I find interesting and that I take into account. Um, so I would say on its face... Uh, that there is very little chance Florida State finishes behind, say, Boston College in the Atlantic. I mean, if we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to start picking teams that Florida State can finish in front of. Oh, by the way, it's the time of year where we should do a refresher. Last year's Atlantic division was won by Wake Forest. Wake Forest went 7-1 and in the conference a year ago, despite having a, a pretty porous defense, but an elite offense. And they won 11 games, and they won the Atlantic. So it was not Clemson, but rather Wake, that won the Atlantic a year ago. NC State 6-2, and two, Clemson 6-2, and two, those two finishing up uh, there in second and third. And, of course, NC State beat Clemson in overtime. Uh, from there, it was Louisville vol- followed by Florida State in conference. Um, and then Syracuse, who Florida State beat in dramatic fashion, and Boston College, who Florida State beat on the road. So... The two contenders, yet again, that I would tell you bare minimum that Florida State would finish ahead of are Syracuse and Boston College. Now, I'm not saying that based on last year's results. I'm just noting that those two who finished below Florida State a year ago, and that was not a great Florida State team, I think are positioned to finish below Florida State yet again. And I get it, Uh, uh, Phil uh, Jerkovic is a good quarterback. I agree with that. But they are going through a comprehensive retooling of their offensive line. And we know, by the way, that if in fact you have offensive line problems, you can stop the conversation. You can look at anything you want. You can talk about um, you know, how good he is, or Zay Flowers, or anybody else that you like on that offense. You can talk all about that, right? And... You can say, well, this is a good player, that's a good player. If your offensive line is below average, subpar, you're going to have a real hard time winning games, whether or not your quarterback, running back, and receiver are good or not. You've got real issues, and I think they have real issues on the offensive line. Uh, They've already improved greatly uh, on defense. They're getting better. I love Halfley. I think he's one of the better coaches in the league. And I think he could be a problem uh long term in terms of getting uh, Boston College to a place where they're more consistently competitive. Uh, for example, the defense at Boston College at the end of my guy at Dazio's era, my guy, old pastry let him down at the end because that defense became a sieve, and uh real real problems I, I We'll see if they're improved on defense this year. They were kind of middling a year ago. Um, They lose Brandon Sebastian. Uh, It's interesting. I think they're a pretty average to below average team, and I have them worse off than Florida State. So I would, right off the bat, just by the mere presence of Boston College, tell you that I think that uh, Florida State is not going to finish last in the Atlantic. I also think Florida State is going to finish ahead of Syracuse, uh, if you look at SP Plus projections, they are looking at around five and a half wins. That's not everything, but I think Florida State's going to win more than five games. Uh, so I like Florida State to be better than Syracuse. That's a game I'm counting on them to win. I think, um, you know, when you – Syracuse is better than than they were. I, I will give you that. I, I think they are. I, I don't think that they're obviously a great team, uh, but I, I think they're probably better than they were. I think the two teams to take a, a real close eye on uh, is, without question, Florida State and Louisville. Those are the two teams that are the most, I think, probably volatile in the Atlanta division. Syracuse, um, I mean, if you look at the trends, 5-7 in 2019, 1-10, and SP plus in 2020, they went from bad to really, really bad defensively. Uh, the offense was not good. They have a running back in Sean Tucker that we all saw who can really play. The passing game is awful. I don't see it, man. Um, I don't think they're very good. So I think State State's going to be better. I mean, I, sometimes you just boil it down to its simplest ingredients. They're not good on defense. They've got a really good running back, they don't have a great passing game. This is trending in the wrong direction. I like Florida State to be better than Syracuse. Where you might be surprised is that no matter the talent of, and I agree, it is considerable, but no matter the talent of Sam Hartman, I think Florida State's a better team than Wake Forest. Oh, there it is. I said it. I do. I hate Wake Forest's defense, and so do the numbers. Uh, it's not just that. it's The numbers tell you that, and my eyes tell me that, and I'm telling you, I think when you watch this game this year, Florida State is going to possess the ball more. Now, I can't predict turnovers. So, obviously, if you turn the ball over five or six times against anybody, you're in trouble. But I think that game could very well turn into a shootout. And if you're not killing yourself with dumbass penalties like the roughing the punter that wasn't roughing the punter called last year or the out-of-bounds hit that wasn't out-of-bounds called last year, the sustained drives, kept your poorest defense out on the field. Also remember, Florida State was still doing the dumbassery at quarterback at that time. We didn't know what was going on. You know. So that, All of that is remedied. The back half of that season last year showed Florida State to be much better on defense, much more competent. You know who your starting quarterback is going to be. You're better up front. You're going to possess the ball more. That's fewer possessions for Wake Forest. I like Sam Hartman. I think that um, uh, uh, their their offense coordinator, uh, Warren Reguario, is good. Uh, but I, I, I'm telling you, I think, uh, I think Florida State wins that game. So now I've got them in all likelihood, if that's the case. Finishing just ahead of Wake in the in the division as well. So, well, what the hell are you talking about, baby? The question isn't whether or not Florida State is going to finish last and Mike Norvell fired. It's whether or not they can finish ahead of Louisville. Because I don't think they're going to finish ahead of Clemson and NC State. And I've got them finishing ahead of Wake Forest, Syracuse, and Boston College. So, here we go. Can you finish ahead of Louisville? If so, so, then I think you see Clemson, NC State, Florida State in that order. And if that's the order they finish, that projects somewhere in the neighborhood of what? Five and three in conference? It's a step up. Not a huge step up, but a step up. Then it comes down to your out-of-conference games against Florida and LSU and Louisiana. Obviously, you know, you get into the Duquesne, all that, that when you're trying to find win totals. But when you're just looking at a conference record, okay. Give me the 5-3, and baby. I'll take that. It's Jeff Cameron Show, 93.3 Real Talk Radio, War Chant TV.
0: I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. The Jeff Cameron Show, brought to you by Orange Theory Fitness. Two Tallahassee locations, Midtown on Thomasville Road, and Northside in the Village Commons Shopping Center. Online at orangetheoryfitness.com.
1: Chef Cameron Show, and we're rolling right along on a Thursday, having fun with this. I was going back and looking during the break. We're talking about success rate and uh, who's owned it, who's been the one uh, to lead the way. You look at the most elite defenses and offenses. um, Look, man, among college football teams that have excelled in success rate (laughs) on offense, Well, LSU in 2019, Alabama to a quarterback 2019 also, Oklahoma with Lincoln Riley 2017, 2018, and 2019, hence the reason he was such a hot commodity for USC, obviously. So perennial national title contenders seem to lead the way offensively, defensively. It's not always the case. You can find where Wisconsin and occasionally others. Top that list, even Air Force one year. So that, that that's you know you look at some of those numbers. They don't always equate uh, on the other side of the ball to the kind of success that you would expect. But it's fun to, it's a fun tool to utilize. I mentioned the email received this morning, and that is uh, a good one to get about. Uh, it's time. It is all time. Uh, we will be meeting up next week with the coaching staff for the annual luncheon which is followed by conversations with coaches and players that are made available to us at said luncheon. It's one of the, I think, uh, really uh, enlightened aspects of what Mike Norvell does in building his program and his interactions with the press. Now, as a member of the press, you could guess that I would say that because I have more access to the players we cover and the coaches we cover and the team that we analyze uh, than ever before. And yeah, that, that matters. But I also think it, it speaks to, and it's a an annual reminder, that that guy believes wholeheartedly in what he's doing. You would not invite this much scrutiny and this much access if you didn't believe in the plan you have in place. It doesn't matter if you think that he's going to make it or not, or that he'll succeed or not, only that clearly he does. Because, again, you would not invite this much scrutiny by having all legitimate members of the press uh, and and those on this beat who cover Florida State uh, over uh, to the Moore Athletic Center to sit down and have lunch and He he usually kind of gives us the state of the program, and then from there after lunch, uh, we get access to him, his assistant coaches, and players for one-on-one interviews, uh, long-form dialogue, conversation, uh, video as well as audio, everything you could want. Uh, Again, I, I think it's smart because you're, again, trying to reveal some of who these players are, what they are, how they go about their business. But also, there's a connection there. You, you end up developing a connection. I think that's important. Now, again, if you don't win games, none of it matters. Agreed. If you don't win games, that policy, while very... Great for us who cover the team because it lends context to what we talk about on a daily basis. Um, so I'm always going to appreciate that. I also think there's other reasons to do it that are really smart that have nothing to do with how it benefits me or other members of the press. I think, I think that it, it, Bobby Bowden did that early on. Obviously, he understood uh, the importance of having a working relationship with the press and how it could benefit his program and the way that they were covered. And, and so I, I think that there's some of that, too. Uh, from Mike Norvell, but when you get that email, you know it's go time, and I got it this morning, and I know that they are reporting. We are having that meeting. Practice begins Wednesday, so it is time to get it on. Full force, good times, and uh, a lot of competition this year, not foregone conclusions, which makes camp all the more interesting on a daily basis. So obviously continue to watch and listen to the Jeff Cameron Show and all that we do on War Chant TV and WarChant.com. Hour number two forthcoming. Stay with us.